I got to give you credit because you are in an undisclosed location in California where the time is 4 a.m. local time. And you made the mistake last week of saying, oh, I'd get up to do the show. Fine, hollow offer. Hollow offer accepted. We're right at the beginning of the show, though. So I guess we'll see in two hours if it actually was a really bad idea by me. And he has survived. Here we are nine hours later, actually eight hours later. My math is horrible. Miles Simmons, not feeling horrible, not looking horrible. You look fresh. You look rested. Even though you had your booster yesterday, you got up at 4 a.m. West Coast time. I got up. No, no, no. I got up at 3.10 a.m. All right. The show started at 4, but I had to get up, you know, a little bit before that, get myself ready. So I've been up for a long time today, Mike. One thing you learn after doing the show for six, seven, eight years, you don't need 50 minutes to get ready. I can pull it off in 15 minutes if I absolutely have to. Because what I try to do, and I didn't do it on Fridays, I don't do it. I'll work out before the show. And as long as I'm off the bike and in the shower by 4.45, I'm up here ready to go by 4.57, 58, 59 sometimes-ish. So you don't need 50 minutes. So I'll correct myself. Since 3.10 a.m. you've been up. It's now (laughs) 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And you have made it. Congratulations. And thanks again for doing the show this morning. We do the show as we always do on Friday. It is one Friday closer to death. And it's not one Friday closer to COVID chaos for the NFL. COVID chaos arrived today. And this one surprised me. Because, Miles, I would have sworn and I would have bet and I would have lost a lot of money on the notion that the NFL would not postpone a single game because that was their position. We're not postponing games. When you postpone a game, the problem is there's a chance that the issue is going to get worse, not better. But I Mm -hmm. think the fact that they've changed the protocols to make it easier for guys to come back, they decided if we bump these games by two days each, three games, if you haven't heard by now, the Raiders at the Browns for Saturday has been moved to Monday at 5 o'clock Eastern and two Sunday games, Washington at the Eagles and the Seahawks at the Rams have been moved to Tuesday night, simultaneously beginning at 7 Eastern. That, I believe, coupled with the current and potential immediate future revisions to the protocols, will result in guys being available, not more guys being out. And that's one of the reasons why the league did it. They think that when they get to Monday and Tuesday, they'll have more than enough guys able to play. Guys who currently aren't able to play, able to play come Monday and Tuesday night. Yeah, listen, and we've been talking about this, I think, you know, the last couple of days, it seems like, but especially over the course of today. I mean, I, I certainly would not have thought when we got off the air earlier today that by the time our second show is starting, that the entire world would have changed as much as it has basically in the last eight hours. And so I think the, the biggest thing that is clear now is that the protocols that worked for July 2021 no longer work for December 2021. And that's because we're almost dealing with a sort of a different virus, right? This this new variant, the Omicron variant, uh, has just come in and it has spread like wildfire. And it has meant that things that were not happening before are now happening. We've never seen upwards of 20 plus players on a team, especially teams that are almost fully vaccinated. Browns came out today and said, you know, almost everybody, excuse me, I think it was everybody that has tested positive is a vaccinated person, right? So when you have a situation like this, where people thought that they were doing the right things and all of a sudden it just pops up and everybody, it seems like is coming up positive for COVID, something has drastically changed And that's why the protocols have got to change along with them, because you've got people who are asymptomatic and feel fine and still are testing positive. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what what in the world happened? And it's just one of these crazy things where the NFL has basically just totally changed over the last five days. And that's why I really think these protocols have got to change with it. Well, and the union, to its credit, pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed to get the league to postpone the games. The league was not going to do it. We reported last night that the union aggressively pushing not just to postpone Raiders-Browns, but also to press pause on the entire season for a week. Now, that was never going to happen. Sometimes you have to make the extreme ask to get the thing 
that you are more likely to get. But even then, I didn't think that the league was going to do it. I really didn't. And I, I respect the fact that the league, even if it had to be kicking and screaming. And, you know, there was a tweet earlier today that the league wasn't going to postpone the games, but it's getting pressure to do it. And I observed, why is it that the league only does the right thing when it's getting pressure to do the right thing? It would be nice if you could figure out the right thing without someone pressuring it to do the right thing. But it did the right thing. It postponed the games. And the commissioner, in a memo that was sent not that long ago, told all teams that the expectation is these games will be played at the rescheduled times and will not be moved to a later date or time during the week of December 20. From the outset of the coronavirus pandemic, our focus has been to play our games in a safe and responsible way, consistent with the best available medical and public health advice based on protocols jointly developed and implemented with the NFL Players Association. So, makes sense from the perspective of player safety as it relates to player safety, not just from the virus, but from the standpoint of thrusting guys into the fray who may not have any business being on a roster, frankly, and not be prepared as other players would be. But also it enhances competitive integrity. That's one of the things that the union was pushing. The league, for all its talk about integrity of the game, decided, hey, we don't care. Just like last year when the Broncos were told to go forward without a quarterback. Now, that was a different situation because their quarterbacks reportedly put their tracking devices in the four corners of a room and huddled together to watch film, and they got busted. But still, go forward without a quarterback. And we thought teams would be told, go forward if you only have 35 healthy guys, 40 healthy guys, whatever the magic number is. The league won't say what the magic number is, but the attitude was go forward. The union was the one pushing competitive integrity miles. And, of course, no good deed goes unpunished. But you got you got three teams out there in the Raiders, the Eagles, and the Seahawks that were thinking, we're going to get a win here against an overmatched team. Those teams are pissed now, frankly that they're not getting the opportunity to try to beat these other teams when they're down. Yeah, and you know what? Especially if you're the Raiders, I really understand the frustration that's coming from them because they're in their facility. They're about 26 hours from kickoff, and then all of a sudden they're told, actually, guys, we're moving the game to Monday. So, you know, don't come on these buses. Don't get on the plane to Cleveland. You know, I saw reporters tweeting out that they were in the airport and got off their planes to go to Cleveland because they don't want to spend an unnecessary amount of time in a hotel. Then they have to. I understand why that is really frustrating. But I think that we have to at least kind of think about how this came about, right? And I, I saw Charles Robinson of Yahoo use this phrase where it was, it, it's uncontrolled spread despite adherence to the protocols is what got these games postponed, right? It's not just that they came in and they were doing whatever and, you know, they weren't adhering to the protocols, which is why the Broncos got dinged last year, right? I mean, when uh, the Raiders in Tampa Bay got moved out of that Sunday night football window because there were so many uh, players that were had tested positive on the Raiders' offensive line. That was a different situation as well. And I think it's kind of illogical to really put um, our thoughts that we had about things that were going on in 2020 into 2021, given everything that is so much different about the virus that we have now, right? And how we have vaccines, how the protocols have worked over the course of the year, and frankly, how you've had these isolated incidents of a player testing positive to this point, but it's never been anything like this. So yeah, it comes down to health and safety. It comes down to you know get, keeping that competitive integrity and that competitive balance. And it turns out they've done the right thing. And now we've got more football games during the week. Those tweets that we had up from KJ Wright and uh, Casey Hayward, um, you know the the idea that that the Raiders would have been required to play if they were the ones going through it. I, I don't buy that. I really don't. I think this Absolutely is something not. that the league was going to do no matter what. Now, when it first was said that the Raiders-Browns game was going to be postponed, I heard from a cousin of mine who's a big Raiders fan saying they wouldn't do this for anybody else. And I had to tell him, well, you know what? I think they're going to do it for two others. I'll believe it when I see it. So I eventually had to show him. And I'm still not sure whether or not he believes it because, after all, this is post-Truth America. But, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that persecution complex is out there 
for Raiders fans and for Raiders players. Now, and the, the Raiders point made by too. the point made by KJ Wright, not KJ Wright, but Casey Hayward. I'm sure that the NFLPA president playing for the Browns didn't have any effect on these negotiations. I, I look, whatever team J.C. Treader played for, I think it made it, you know, more obvious to him by being among the roster and the members of a team that was going through the enhanced protocol and so many players testing positive, but he has an obligation no matter where he is. And I'd like to think that if he didn't play for the Browns or Washington or the Rams, he still would have been advocating aggressively for these games to be postponed. You also have leadership that is not among the player ranks that was pushing for this. You know, if you didn't have Demoris Smith and his staff on board with this, it's not going to happen. So I... Yeah, MDS, I know, has suggested that J.C. Treader should have recused himself from these conversations. I don't even know that that's the case. Look, the, the bottom line is you've got enough people involved in this. This wasn't J.C. Treader making a decision on his own. J.C. Treader right. is just one of many voices, one of many people who had to craft a solution to this problem. And if it was just J.C. Treader trying to work everything to his advantage, it wouldn't have happened. At some point along the way, somebody would have said, hey, JC, we know what you're trying to do. Nice try. Nice try. Go back and get ready for the game. Yeah, exactly. They would have told him to buzz off and go get uh, Nick Mullins ready to play. And I, but I think JC Treader's actually been very consistent about what he feels like the NFLPA should be pushing for and how he feels like these protocols should be throughout the course of the year, right? It, this is not something that just came up all oh, because, wow, the Browns have a really bad COVID situation. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Ah, let me use my position to do something to our advantage. Like, no, because it, it wasn't just you know, his team that he was advocating for. Really, I mean, he's also talking about the Rams. Right. You also have Washington. So there are there are a lot of different elements that come into this. And so I, I think you're right. It's not just about him. It's about Demore Smith and, the, and his staff and what they're doing. And also the NFL probably is looking at this and saying, like, OK, yeah, there's there's some practical implications that we really need to be uh, considerate of here. And it's not just because J.C. Treader plays for the Browns that all three of these games got postponed. Yeah, um, I agree with that completely. And look, we are where we are. And one of the reasons why the NFL ultimately agreed to make this change, I believe and I'm told, is because the union and the NFL continue to negotiate further changes to the protocol that will make it easier for the guys who are currently off to come back. We saw the change on Thursday that makes it easier for people to return. I think more could be coming. And there are two big things out there. One is that a player who is vaccinated asymptomatic and positive can still play. And the other is if you're vaccinated and asymptomatic, you don't even get tested at all. Not once a week, not once every two weeks. You don't get tested at all as long as you're not sick. Those are starting to take root. I give you as support for that. First, Bruce Arians, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach from earlier today. Here he is at his press conference. What are your thoughts on that kind of lowering the threshold that would allow players to get back out on the field better or quicker? Is that a, do you think that that's a better move or are you concerned about that at all? No, I'm not concerned at all. If you're asymptomatic, you should be able to play. It's that simple. And Miles, we've been saying it for weeks. I've been saying it. There's no evidence of transmission during games. Look at the stadiums. Look at the stands. Look at the fans. Packed together. No evidence, no suggestion, not even a whisper, not a hint, not a whiff. And I know there's people out there in the media that would love nothing more than to report on outbreaks at these open-air stadiums where you see thousands of people sardine canned. Somebody would be reporting that if there was yeah. some mass outbreak due to presence at college and football, or college and professional, excuse me, both are football, college and professional football games. So that, that just bolsters the idea which the NFL has believed all along. It's not going to get transmitted from one player to another during a game. Well, not only that, but look at the opponents that you had last week with the teams that have these outbreaks now, right? I mean, the Browns played the Ravens. They're not have, the Ravens aren't having an uncontrolled outbreak. 
Now, Washington played the Cowboys. You're not seeing any kind of numbers from Dallas either. And the Rams, they played the Cardinals, right? And so some of this stuff that was going on with the Rams, that started earlier on Monday or earlier during the weekend, right? Because you had Rob Havenstein test positive, and then he was out, and then Daryl Henderson, and he was out, and then Jalen Ramsey the morning of the game. So these things started last week, and you've not really seen much coming out from the Cardinals. Now, I know Rodney Hudson, I believe, went on the COVID list, but it's not like the Rams had really any defensive linemen going on the COVID list themselves. Sebastian Joseph Day is on there, but he wasn't playing last week. He's been out um, due to an injury for a number of weeks now. So I think that only kind of supports that, uh, that thought that this thing is not transmitting or to, from one player to another during games. Players aren't getting the virus from each other during games. And we saw that same kind of thing last year when we didn't even have vaccines yet. So being in an open-air stadium, it seems to, and being outdoors, seems to really, really help. And even being in a dome, because the domes yeah. have state-of-the-art ventilation. There, there are systems in place to protect against a potential aerosol terrorist attack. That's been a development of the past 20 years. Every dome stadium can get the air out quickly and fresh air in. That's how they operate. There's been no reporting, no anecdotal evidence, no statistical evidence, nothing to support that there are virus transmissions happening in those settings, and there's no reason to believe it happens during games. So if you're positive, if you're asymptomatic, and you're vaccinated, you should be able to play, and we may be heading in that direction. We also may be heading in the direction of, as I mentioned, if you're vaccinated and you're asymptomatic, you don't even get tested. Here's Cowboys owner Jerry Jones from earlier today on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas on that point. I think that uh, uh, we we will get to a point probably uh, this week that we'll only test if symptomatic. That's if you've been vaccinated, and that's a good thing. Uh, test when you're symptomatic, and that's it. Uh, uh, I think we've about gotten to a point where the players' union and the league are on the same page to get that done. Now, uh, there will be stepped-up uh, protection because of this, quote, outbreak we're in, having right now. And so you'll have a mask. You'll have more separation than we've had the early part of the year. Uh, you will have uh, uh, certainly less uh, group, uh, congregation, and you'll have more restriction or you'll ask your players to exercise more discretion away from the practice or away from the team. And look, th- that makes sense because masks in the facility, it's more of a confined space. Social distancing in the facility, it's more of a confined space. Activities away from the facility, restrictions there, those are all back in force. The NFL believes most of the positive cases are coming from not the facility, but community spread. It's on the field during games where it's not an issue. Now, there will be a challenge in getting the players to the stadium, especially for road games. If you've got a guy who's positive, who is asymptomatic and vaccinated, how do you get him there? But once he's there, he should be allowed to play. And I think we're moving in that direction, and we're moving in the direction of not even testing these guys who are vaccinated and asymptomatic because of the fact that, you know, if you throw in these other protections, it doesn't matter if they're positive. And if everybody's vaccinated, see, I think what's going to happen in the offseason, Miles, I think the union rank and file are going to get heavily involved here. And my guess, and this is just a guess at this point, there will be provisions on which the union votes. And all it takes is 51 percent or 50.1 or 50.001, one vote over 50, that if you're vaccinated, and asymptomatic, you don't get tested. If you're vaccinated, asymptomatic, and positive, you can play. And vaccination mandates. This this system that we're talking about, the mm-hmm. suggestions from Arians and Jones, becomes a lot more practical if everyone's been vaccinated. And if you've got 96% of the guys who are choosing to be vaccinated, my guess is you'll have at least 50.1% who choose to vote in favor of mandatory vaccinations because they're already vaccinated and are committed to staying properly boosted and vaccinated going forward. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Mike, because at this point, like, I don't think anybody wants to A, have games to be rescheduled, postponed, or B, have to miss games, right? I mean, because that's another part of the thing where it's like, well, I thought that they would forfeit. Like, A, that was supposed, that to me, the way I read the whole, uh, you're going to have to forfeit thing that was in the memo and then the protocols from before the season, that was almost more of a threat to get players to get vaccinated because it said that the forfeit would come from an uncontrolled unvaccinated uncontrolled spread that happened in the team so if you're vaccinated and the spread happens and then you know you have to work to postpone a game or something like that which frankly i think through the first 14 weeks of the season we really didn't think was going to happen then that never would have was going that never was going to result in a forfeit anyway so i think that may not have been explained to people maybe they didn't read the full uh, letters of the text uh, in order to truly understand what that was about. But uh, if they do go in the direction of a vaccine mandate, it would it, it would make a lot of sense. Just because then you wouldn't have to worry about the constant test. You wouldn't have to worry about it weekly, right? I mean, if that's the way they go, and then they say if you're asymptomatic and you're vaccinated, you know, you don't have to you don't have to test at all. I mean, it it makes a lot of sense to me because. As long as the players are okay and as long as they're not really risking anything that, you know, in their health, I, I think it just makes sense for them to be able to play because certainly they want to play. And if they're healthy, then maybe they should be out there. I mean, they, because we've been talking about it, right? They, uh, many of them that would probably test positive on Monday were probably positive on Sunday. So, I mean, if that's the direction that we're heading, then the direction makes sense to me. As to the issue of forfeits, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was one of the sticks. There were carrots and there were sticks to right. get guys to get vaccinated. All these that you only get tested once every two weeks. It became once a week. You don't have to wear a mask in the facility. You can go wherever you want to go. If you're not vaccinated, you're stuck with all of these restrictions. You can't go away during your bye week because you got to be tested at the facility every single day. All of those things were incentives to do it, and the threat came with the memo that said if games are canceled due to a virus outbreak among unvaccinated players, the team with the outbreak will forfeit. That was what got a lot of people's attention. And yeah. they're never going to do that. I know people were arguing today, and the Raiders were suggesting, some of the players, hey, they should have to forfeit. No, that's not how it works, because there's no way you can prove that the Browns' outbreak originated with or was caused by unvaccinated players. All the vaccinated players are the ones who are positive, and most of them, are perfectly fine. This is a different issue altogether. But here's what would happen. And this is the easy response to guys like K.J. Wright and Casey Hayward, who don't like the fact that the game has been postponed. Would you like it if the game is canceled? Because if the game is canceled, you don't get paid. That bridge was crossed last year. That agreement was made between the league and the union at the height of the pandemic. For any games not played, the payer, a player not played, the players don't get paid period. And you only play 16 games and you get winning percentages determining playoff position. That's immaterial to the idea of whether or not guys are getting paid. But for the Raiders players who may be unhappy right now about the prospect of playing the game on Monday instead of Saturday, it's better than not playing it at all. Because if you don't play it at all, you don't get your game check. And that's what people need to remember. There aren't going to be forfeits, but if games are canceled, guys aren't getting paid. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that they'd be even more upset if all of a sudden they realize, oh, look, we have a win. Isn't this nice? We're seven and seven. I don't get my paycheck. What? Like That would be my response. Because <laughs> I don't know. Mike. But even if I do all this stuff, I do all the prep work. And, you know, for some reason, there's no show on any given day. I still want my paycheck. So, yeah, like I don't think that anybody wants to not get paid for any reason. So uh, hopefully that's, somebody explains that to them. Hey, that's one of the most significant aspects of the agreements made by the League and the Union that that still linger and haven't been utilized yet. See, it's not on anyone's radar right. screen because it hasn't happened. Games haven't been canceled. So, and I understand, look, this is one of the realities of having social media, the ability to vent any and all frustrations instantaneously on your cell phone device. I get it. And a lot of times the things that the guys will tweet, you know, five, 10 minutes later, they feel better. Just the act of saying it makes them feel better. But when you take a step back and you look at it, yeah, hey, we'd prefer to play the game Saturday, but we're happy we get to play the game at all. Because if they had pulled the, the plug on this, if the Browns were completely wiped out and the game couldn't go forward and 
And there's no tracing it back to unvaccinated players as the cause. We don't get a win. We don't get a dollar. We get nothing. Right. So, yeah, I'm fine with Monday night. If it means not getting <laughs> paid, I'll, 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 I'll find a way to deal with being inconvenienced by playing the game two days later. All right. Uh, also, Sean Payton tests positive today. He will not coach the Saints on Sunday night. NBC as the Saints take on the Buccaneers in Tampa. The Saints have three straight regular season wins against the Buccaneers. It'll be Dennis Allen, the former Raiders head coach, who plenty of people are saying, why isn't he getting consideration for head coaching job? Why isn't he getting interviews? Perfect opportunity for Dennis Allen. Not that the Raiders would hire him back. Maybe the Jaguars would take a look at him. Other teams, as we get closer to this final two-week window where teams with head coaching vacancies can start interviewing assistant coaches, this is a great opportunity for Dennis Allen to show what he's got. Extra incentive. Beat Tom Brady on national TV on a Sunday night, and all of a sudden you go not necessarily to the very top of the A-list, but you're at least in the middle of the A-list. Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, this is not just an opportunity for him to show what he can do as a defensive game planner, but also a game manager, right? I mean, the way you use timeouts, the way you say, are we going to be aggressive or not? And I'm sure so much of that is going to be discussed with Sean Payton in the lead up to this game. But whenever you're out there, I mean, that still falls on you. I mean, are you going to challenge something? Are you not going to challenge something? These decisions that a head coach has to make throughout the course of the game, there's a lot of them. And so if he can show that he can be really competent in that area, he's grown from his time coaching the Raiders um, back in the early part of the last decade, then yeah, I think that there is a good argument to be made that he should be on some of these teams' lists um, if they want a new head coach. And I think the other thing about this is that we're going to start probably seeing more teams say, oh, well, maybe we do need to start thinking about making a change in the next couple of weeks here because you've already got now two teams that ostensibly can get ahead of the line and start saying, well, we know that we have an interim right now and we know that we want a full-time guy next year so we can start interviewing people and it's not necessarily just NFL assistants maybe somebody you want to secretly interview from the college ranks or somebody who currently does not have a job with an NFL team there's a lot of different possibilities so I, I think that's that is going to be something that's going to be really interesting to see over the next few weeks develop well that's right and the the, the other weird aspect of that new rule it had been communicated to the teams in a memo dated October 27. And then it was voted on this week by owners, which was kind of an odd cart before the horse. But the owners accepted it for both coach and GM vacancies. So there's an incentive now. If you're going to fire your guy anyway on what used to be called Black Monday, but spilled back into the day before, just like Black Friday. Now it's going to be two weeks earlier where if you want to get a head start, if you want to start the process of finding your next coach, other teams are doing it. You're hurting yourself if you wait until the end of the season. I think that it's going to have a significant impact, especially if we see this year, if some teams do it and some teams don't, and the teams that do it end up in better position to get their top choices, that's what will get other teams motivated. The, the other side of it, though, is if you're targeting someone from a playoff team, you still can't make the hire until the right. season is completely over, which uh, is is an ongoing complication that the league has yet to decide to resolve. Let's take a break when we return. Some news around the NFL unrelated to the COVID chaos that we saw earlier today. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. All right, Lamar Jackson, Ravens quarterback, didn't practice for the third straight day, questionable for Sunday. Coach John Harbaugh says he has a chance to play. We will see in pre. He ain't playing. I, that's just mm -hmm. my that's my assessment. He's not playing. He's not playing. No. He has a chance to play. I have a chance to play too. I have a chance to play. Did you know that? I have a chance. I have a chance I'm to alive. play for the Browns. Yeah. Exactly. You at least already have your helmet. helmet behind me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think we're going to see Lamar Jackson this week. I mean, whenever you don't practice throughout the course of the week and you get three straight days like that and you're just not on the field, it's usually a sign that you're not going to play. I mean, especially as a QB, you want to get out there and at least do something within the game plan. It's just really hard, I think, when you have that ankle injury. And the problem, too, is that 
you need him to be like the MVP kind of Lamar Jackson. You don't need like 80%, 75% Lamar Jackson because he's not been playing very well over his last four games. You go back to that Miami game and in the last four, and I know he only played about a quarter in that Browns game. He's got a passer rating of 65.8. It's well below his career average of 98.1 and his MVP year was 113. He's taken 14 sacks, only has three touchdowns, six interceptions. He's just... You got to get him right. And I think in order for him to be right, he's got to be healthy. So I don't mind seeing Huntley out there this week if I'm the, if I'm the Ravens. There's a significant difference between Tyler Huntley playing this time around and last time around, beyond the fact that the opponent is slightly better. But when he played the Bears in oh. Chicago, they really didn't know that Lamar Jackson wasn't going to be able to go. He didn't practice Wednesday and Thursday due to an illness. He practiced on Friday. Then he was downgraded on Saturday, and it was still kind of up in the air. I think that Huntley knows that he's the guy, and it's going to take a miracle at this point or something close to it to put Lamar Jackson in a position to play. So that gives you a little extra edge if you're Tyler Huntley. You know. And Huntley told me after the win against the Bears, he just assumed all day on Saturday he was going to play. That was his only option for getting in the right mindset. Well, he doesn't need to make any assumptions. I think he's going to play. I think we're going to see him. And uh, it's uh, the Green Bay Packers who are trying to get the one seed in the NFC. So it's not going to be easy for the Baltimore Ravens. But Huntley could really help his career if he could get another win this year. He played well last week after Lamar Jackson got injured. And the Ravens had a chance to win that game. His numbers were not bad. So he's got a chance to do it again. Josh Allen, left foot sprain for the Buffalo Bills. He's expected to start. That's not really a surprise. I mean, he went to Hamilton on Tuesday without a walking boot, so, you know, it, it's, it just felt like the guy's going to be able to go. The question is, how much will he be running? Will he potentially re-injure it? When you're talking about a mobile quarterback who's got a foot injury, you have to worry about further aggravation or fresh injury or, you know, compensation. The other foot gets injured, an ankle gets injured, something like that. Once a guy's banged up, if he's going to keep playing the way that he does, he could get banged up even more, Miles. Well, yeah, and that game is being played on turf, right? So Buffalo does not have a natural grass field surface. So who knows how that's going to affect him when it comes to a foot injury. I mean, you talk, hear players talk about it all the time that they would much rather play on natural grass. But I, I think that this really is a game that the Bills have got to come out there and they got to roll Carolina. I mean, the great teams make bad teams continue looking bad. Like Carolina is not a very good team right now. They've got all kinds of questions. Two quarterbacks really means you have no quarterbacks. The Bills need to just have a really solid game, play solid defensively, take a little pressure off your offense, and maybe, you know, Josh Allen just throw the ball around to Stephon Diggs like you have so many times and like you did so many times last year. Make it look good. You know, take a little pressure off your foot that way if you're not running as much. If the, Bill, if the Bills roll, they're going to feel much better about themselves after their last few weeks. They need to turn it around now. I mean, this is a team that was the only dominant franchise in the NFL through the first five weeks, and it has been anything but dominant since then. They need to, they need to find a way. These past two losses have been devastating to them. They have to be emotionally to lose to the Patriots and then the former Patriots quarterback. They have to turn it around, and I think they will this weekend, but we'll see. Let's take a break. When we return, five for Friday, five questions with answers from each of us. You may or may not like them. Stick around to find out what we have to say. More PFTPM coming at you right after this. This guy's a tremendous player. He can do it all. Um, he's got good power, good quickness, good speed, really good vision. You can see on this play how he, you know, has patience, follows the blocking, you know, comes out here, you know, picks up the second level block, cuts it back, uh, and then, you know, the Jets. I mean, they got a shot at, shot at him here, and he just wow. outruns them and you know, 75 yard touchdown. So they can score literally from every place on the field. And there's the clue that what's going to happen with the Colts and the Patriots on Saturday night is that Bill Belichick will, as he always does, try to take away what the Colts do best. And what they do best is run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. This will be about neutralizing the run and forcing Carson Wentz to beat them with his arm and his legs. And we understand that. So, five for Friday. Question one, will the Patriots be able to slow down? Jonathan Taylor, Miles Simmons, what do you think? 
I think that they'll be able to slow him down. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to shut him down completely. I don't know that anybody really can do that, at least not this year when it comes to Jonathan Taylor. But the magic number for them, for the Colts, that is, is 100. If Jonathan Taylor gets 100 rushing yards, they've won this year. All right, they're, they're seven and six. So in the seven games that they've won, Jonathan Taylor's had 100 rushing yards. In the six games that they've lost, he's had under that. So the last game that they lost was against the Buccaneers where he had, I think, 82 rushing yards. And there was a period of time in that game where the Colts called 26 straight passing plays because the Buccaneers, you know, they've got Vita Vea. They've gotten down from Sue. They were just like, nah, you're not running the ball against us. And I think that the Patriots may not have that kind of stout defensive front, but they can take a similar approach and basically say, no, the road's closed. In order for you guys to beat us, we're going to take our chances against Carson Wentz. And frankly, that's the, that's the approach I would take too. Another way that you deal with a team that runs the ball best is to strategically and you know sometimes it's easier said than done but this was the old Belichick approach to Tim Tebow the best way you deal with Tim Tebow who had a proclivity whether you liked him or whether you didn't he had a proclivity to erase leads in the fourth quarter and he did it time and again and it was magical well one way you keep that from happening you have such a big lead that there's nothing he can do to you in the fourth quarter and that's what they did when they played him twice in 2011, once in the regular season, once in the playoffs. So one way to neutralize Jonathan Taylor, score points early, build a lead and force them naturally away from the run. That's one thing that the Patriots will try to do. Whether or not they actually do it, that's going to depend upon what their offense is able to do. And Damian Harris is out for the game. But Mac Jones, who only threw three passes the last time the Patriots played, I have a feeling, I have a feeling. A few more than three passes will be coming from Mac Jones <laughs> on Saturday night. But that's, that's, that's got the potential to be a great game. I'm still stunned the Colts are favored. We talked about this earlier today. Colts yeah. are favored by two and a half. And, and home field advantage currently is worth about two and a half. It used to be worth three. The fact that the Colts are favored by two and a half means that neutral site, it would be push, even. And I don't see that between the Patriots and the Colts right now. Maybe I'm missing something, but, but I think the Patriots – in part because of Bill Belichick, are, are slightly better, Miles. No, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that the Patriots should go in there as like three-point favorites or anything like that, but maybe if it was closer to one, uh, one, one way or the other, that would make a little bit more sense to me because it does seem like it's at least an even game, but I would probably favor the Patriots by a point, point and a half. All right, question number two, with Urban Meyer gone from Jacksonville, will the Jaguars score 20 or more points for the first time since week six? Since their bye week, they are one and six, and they are scoring 9.1 points per game. So with Meyer out, ding dong, the witch is dead, as we've been saying, uh, will they see an uptick offensively against a team like the Texans? You really hope that they will, man, right? I mean, the Texans are just as bad as they are. They both got the same, what, 2-11 and 11 record, I think it is now, because I'm confused on everybody's record at this point in the season. I know they only have two wins. But look, the other interesting thing about this is that Daryl Bevel talked about uh, either yesterday, today, both, that he was up in the booth, and that's not something that he usually does when he calls plays. He's used to being down there on the field, and he said, that oh, was a little bit foreign to me, and now obviously as the interim head coach, He's going to be down on the field and calling plays. And I can't help but wonder, like, if you're up there and that's where you're calling plays and you've never really done it before, is that one of the reasons why this thing looked as bad as it did offensively? I mean, obviously, Urban Meyer had probably a lot to do with that, and especially the benching of James Robinson and things like that. But I wonder how much him being down there on the field and being able to communicate face-to-face with Trevor Lawrence could help things out. So, Maybe they will score. Tw- yes, I'll say they'll score 20 points. They're getting a lift from uh, Urban Meyer not being there anymore. Yes. Yeah, I think this is the the interim coach bump that we see, and it's even more pronounced because there were so many people there that didn't like Urban Meyer and that were happy to see him gone. So, you know, unlike the Texans, who I think are in full-blown tank mode, not that the players are trying to lose, but when you go with Davis Mills over Tyrod Taylor, you're – you're not trying to win, that's for damn sure. And the Texans understand the value, as they should, of finishing as high in the draft order as they can. For the Jaguars, that's immaterial. They're going to have a high enough draft pick. This is about 
getting the situation under control, injecting some reason for fans and players and coaches and staff to feel good about things. And if there truly is an exhale that happens with Urban Meyer gone, it'll it'll show. And I think the Jaguars will win that game. I thought they were going to win anyway because I don't think the Texans are really interested in winning right now, not that they have been all year long. But the Jaguars will win this one because of that extra kick that's going to come from the absence of Meyer, the presence of Bevel, and 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 I like that you mentioned the sideline. I heard him say that yesterday. That you know, he said it's almost like a video game when you're up in the booth. You can't really hear. You can't look guys in the eye. You don't get a good feel for the flow of the game. You just have a better perspective on what's happening once the ball is snapped. Question three: What will it take for the Falcons to knock off the 49ers and make a run toward the playoffs, Miles? Uh, the 49ers are going to have to get sloppy with the football. Jimmy G is going to have to throw a couple picks. You know, they're going to have to have a couple fumbles. Look, Atlanta's not a good team. All right. Like, I know that they're six and seven. We got to look at the teams that they beat. All right. The Giants, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Saints, the Jags, and the Panthers. And they're 26th in points scored, 28th in points allowed, 24th in yards gained and allowed. I, I don't really get how they have six wins and they're like somehow still in the hunt because they're not a very good football team. And I think that the 49ers are actually a good football team and they've been playing better and better and better. It was a really big win that they got last week against Cincinnati. So it's going to take the 49ers kind of coming out and falling on their face and stepping on the rake, which I frankly, I just don't see happening. We've seen the 49ers lose to the Falcons, though. It was late in their 2019 season. It was unexpected. And the Falcons have the ability to sting you in any given game. But I like that you pointed out the actual quality of the victories because the flip side is when they lose, they don't mess around. They don't lose by a point or two. They get blown <laughs> yeah. off the field. And I think I think that's what's going to happen because you've got the 49ers who are making this unexpected late-season playoff run. They got the lift in beating the Bengals in overtime. This is a game they should win, and I think there's enough guys on the roster that were there when they got surprised by the Falcons a couple of years ago. That gives Kyle Shanahan and company a little extra, little extra juice when it comes to getting the attention of the players causing them not to take anyone lightly they've got the the uh you know the, the the opportunity right in front of them to try to get their their playoff berth so i think it's going to be a long day for the falcons and and look can the falcons really keep this going if they would beat the 49ers then they got the Lions, but they got the bills and the saints I, I don't i don't think the falcons keep keep it going they should be proud of themselves for doing what they've done but i don't think they keep it going who needs to step up the most this weekend give me a player a team or a coach I'm going to say Ben Roethlisberger. I think we need to see just a little bit more consistency out of the Steelers earlier on in games, right? They've done a nice job sort of in the last few weeks of competing, of coming back, of making sure that they're making things competitive. But you need it from Ben Roethlisberger because their backs are against the wall right now, 6-6-1, six, six, and one, and they're going to have an opportunity, whether it's in the AFC North and winning that division based on the way things look in Baltimore right now, or just in general with the Wild card situation in the AFC and they've got that tie that tie is probably going to be uh, pretty significant if the Steelers keep winning so I like to see Ben Roethlisberger come out and light things up a little bit but I I do figure that thing's going to be that's going to be a good game uh, between the Steelers and the Titans oh I think it's going to be a great game and we talked earlier today about how this is just one of those as you said program victories where the Steelers don't lose this game and I've been in around Pittsburgh my entire life, with some limited exceptions. And there's just a vibe, there's a feel, and I know when the Steelers are ready to go, and I think they are going to be ready to go. I'm going to say Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback. The Bengals are three-point underdogs on the road against the Broncos. Both teams are 7-6. and six. The Bengals are the team that is the real playoff contender. The Broncos are the team that we look at and say, what the hell are you still doing here? And this is the weekend where the Bengals need to deliver that message So we all can have some faith in what we thought the Bengals were going to be and what we thought the Broncos were going to be. And it all falls to Joe Burrow, especially with Patrick Sertan, most likely neutralizing Jamar Chase. What else is going to be available to Joe Burrow offensively? Can he get it done? This is a big moment. I mean, look, we we, we like what he does. We like the swagger. We like the attitude. Babyface killer. You know, I think that's what Peter King calls him. But at some point, you got to deliver some wins. You got to deliver some wins. So uh, this is a win that he needs to deliver. Last question. 
from Five for Friday. Will the two New York teams combine for more than 20 points? You've got the Giants facing the Cowboys at MetLife Stadium. You've got the Jets traveling to Hard Rock Stadium to take on the Dolphins. Well, I think Buffalo might be upset by this question since they are New York's real team, right? They're the only uh, New York team. Know. Yeah, I know, I know. I think, yo, boy, Mike Glennon's starting and the Dolphins' defense has been playing really, really well. Uh, I might say no. I'm, I think I'm going to say no, you know? I, I Even though the Cowboys, if the Cowboys get up in that game, then, yeah, they might allow more points to come back um, by the Giants because that just seems to be the way the Cowboys play this year. I'm just going to be bold, and I'm going to say no. No, they're not going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. I mean, that's 10 points per team. I think that that between them they can score 10 <laughs> points each and get to 20, and uh, chances are they're both going to lose, but maybe they can get to 20 <laughs> points. Let's take a break. What we can't wait to see this weekend, we'll do that when this Friday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. All right, what we can't wait to see with Week 15 here. We've already seen plenty, plenty of things we don't like, the postponement of three games. But the games will be played, as far as we know. And what what I know now is it's time to talk about the things we can't wait to see. Miles, you're up first. Okay, I, I mentioned it in the last segment when I was talking about Ben Roethlisberger. But honestly, I think this Tennessee-Pittsburgh matchup is going to be one of the best of the weekend. At least it really should be. I mean, these are two pretty heavyweight teams in the AFC, and I love the way that Mike Vrabel has had those players competing throughout the course of the year. I mean, even though it was 20-0 to last week over the Jacksonville Jaguars, that defense was dominant, right? You don't get a shutout victory over anybody in this league without being dominant. And I think they can kind of go in there and do that against Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's defense is also quite good. Right. And so when they're playing at home and when they've got the crowd behind them and they start playing renegade in the fourth quarter, I just, I can see Ryan Tannehill throwing an interception or getting sack fumbled. And then there's a big defensive play and they got those stupid towels going around and around and around. It's just like, I, like you were saying, Mike, it's one of those things where it's a program victory. Right. It's a culture victory. That's what the Steelers do. And I think that they're going to be able to win. But I I do think that Tennessee is going to go up there and compete. Uh, You keep mentioning the stupid towels and I have to take the brunt of that. He's a Browns fan, folks, and he doesn't mean they're stupid (laughs) towels. That's just what a Browns fan is required contractually to say in order to be allowed to be a Browns fan. All right. I'm going to stay in that division. Mike. (laughs) That's right. That's so. Yeah. Stupid towels. But I, I'm fine with that. I just don't want the people thinking that I co-signed. I do not think the towels are stupid. I have two of them alone up in the vicinity <laughs> of this studio. Will Lamar Jackson play, and will it matter? I don't believe he will play, but the real question is, will it even make a difference with a banged-up ankle that if he is able to play, it's not going to be he's 100% healthy and he's running around like he always does, and even when he is healthy, the offense isn't good. The Packers' defense has been great. They've got Aaron Rodgers, who is reaching for the brass ring of the one seed in the NFC. I don't think it's going to matter. I think that's a factor. If you're the Ravens, like... Do we really increase our chances of winning this game if we put Lamar Jackson at risk with a bad ankle? We're better off saving him for the last three games, rolling the dice with Tyler Huntley and seeing if he can make a difference. But uh, I I just can't wait to see how the, the Ravens handle that and whether or not they are able to be competitive with a great team like the Packers, whether it's Lamar Jackson or Tyler Huntley. All right, you're up. You're up next, Miles. One thing I would say about Huntley, too, is the last two times he's played, he's not had the benefit of a full week of practice, and he does this week. And I think that that can make a difference for him. But another thing that I think I'm really looking forward to seeing is Teddy Bridgewater against the Cincinnati defense. I think, you know, if you look at what has happened with Carolina and how they moved on from Teddy Bridgewater, and now Teddy Bridgewater in Denver, I think he's played pretty well over the course of the season. You know, he's got 18 touchdowns, seven picks. He's completing about 68% of his passes. Hasn't really had like a signature game, but if the Broncos are not mere pretenders, but actually contenders, then this is a game where Teddy Bridgewater can step up, make the throws that he needs to make, make a couple more special throws when he's got all those darn good weapons outside there for him. And, you know, we start to really think about the Broncos with not just their defense, but also their offense as a team that cannot can make the playoffs. And 
maybe surprise a team if they get there. And, you know, there's a perception out there that the Broncos are going to go elsewhere after the season at quarterback and everything they're doing well makes them attractive to an Aaron Rodgers or whatever. If Teddy Bridgewater takes his team to the playoffs, what do you do next year? I don't I don't know. I don't I, you know, I, I really don't know. It gives you great leverage for any trade discussions because you can say, we're just going to keep trying to build with what we have. Teddy Bridgewater is still relatively young, even though he's been around since mm-hmm. 2014. Still relatively young, got a lot of football left in him. And if they get to the playoffs this year with him, there's an argument to be made for continuity next year and sticking with Bridgewater. I want to see if Dak Prescott can bust out of his slump. Now, he says it's not a slump. Jerry Jones says, I wouldn't call it a slump, but that's a fair word to use. So, you know, if you call it a slump, I'm not going to come punch you in the face, basically. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just not going to use that word because I'm paying the guy $40 million a year. Can he break out of whatever it is that he is in? Because you look at the first six games, statistically, the last six games, statistically, after he injured his calf and missed the Halloween game against the Vikings. Big difference in the performance of Dak Prescott. He's got to get back on the right track if this team wants to be successful in the postseason. We know we're going to get there, but what are we going to get when they get there? A lot of it depends upon what Dak does final four games, Miles. Yeah, and he says he's fully healthy, but we will see. I mean, whether it's a slump or not, he's got to perform better over the last hey, two games. Hey, right, my own last one. Hey, hey, oh, hang on, hang on. This yeah. is the Shereen Williams rule. This is the Shereen Williams rule. If you're yeah. not injured, then you just stink. That she's she's applied that to Baker Mayfield. That's true. She's applied it to others. She's got to apply it to her quarterback. If you're not injured, then you just stink. <laughs> yes. Well, no, you're right. That is that is the Shereen Williams rule. I like that one. All right. So my last one. Can't wait to see. I can't wait to see if the Dolphins are going to get to 500. I mean, I can't believe really that the Dolphins might get to 500 here at seven and seven. Right now, they're six and seven, and they're taking on the Jets. We were just talking about, well, do we think that the Jets and Giants can combine score 20 points? I don't know if the Jets are going to be able to score more than 10 because the Dolphins' defense has played very, very well. And Tua Tungavailoa has also been quite good over the last few games. I think that he's taking the steps forward that he needs to. Now, does that mean that Miami's not going to be in the quarterback derby over the offseason? I don't think that I've seen that much to make me say that. But I think from the standpoint of you started one and seven and now you have a chance to get to 500. It says a lot about Brian Flores and the way that this coaching staff has kept this team together and the way that they're still competing. I, uh, I agree. And it'll be fantastic if they get there. And remember, alternate reality, it almost came to be if just four of the 22 plaintiffs had not said no to a settlement, all 22 cases would have been settled and the Dolphins would have traded for Deshaun Watson. And maybe they'd be on the brink of going to 7-7, seven and seven, but I don't think so. It's, it's great what they've been able to do the past few games. And eliminating the Deshaun Watson distraction, I think, had a lot to do with it. I want to see if Tommy can beat the Saints. He hasn't beaten the Saints in the regular season since he joined the Buccaneers. Yeah, he won the game that mattered in the playoffs last year. But yeah. this, this is important because here we are. 10-3 Bucks, 10-3 Cardinals, 10-3 Packers. Somebody's getting that bye. I think that's why I, I don't like the one buy per conference generally, but boy, I like it in this situation where you got one seat and you got three that are vying for it. The Bucks need this win badly on Sunday night, Miles. They do, and they're going against the team that's not going to have its head coach, right? And I think that that could certainly affect things just from the standpoint of the way the game is managed. So can Tom Brady go in there and get it? I, I think he can. We are done. Stay with us all weekend long at PFT for any updates about the games that have been postponed. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.